your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined today by just Ryan. Unfortunately, and fortunately for him, Alex could not make this episode as Everton fell 4-0 to Arsenal at the Emirates. It was their heaviest defeat, our heaviest defeat since this fixture to finish the campaign last year where we lost 5-1. Brings Everton to one win in their last 13 away games, quite simply not good enough after a, I think, interesting and pretty solid start. First 30, 40 minutes before the first goal, Everton looked up for it. And then the wheels kind of fell off as we will get to in some of our listener comments and talk about all of the happenings of this one, as painful as it may be. Before we get into the pain and suffering, just a reminder that if you enjoy this show, we hope you do. If you're listening after this one, you definitely do. So we appreciate you. And if you'd help us out a lot by leaving us a rating and or review on your podcast platform of choice helps us out a ton. You can follow us on social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay up to date on latest episode releases and join our Discord server. If you want to commiserate with fellow blues, we have a great community. Invite.gg slash ATP and links will be in the description of the episode. All right, Ryan, I've put it off long enough. I said it right before we started recording, but Alex and you were treated to recording the pod after we beat Arsenal at home 1-0. Now we get the other side of the coin and get to break down a debilitating loss, perhaps slightly expected, but no less painful anyway when you get beat like that. And my instant match reaction from Twitter from NorCal Toffee alludes to this, said competitive football for the first 35 minutes and then the wheels fell off. Holgate, Godfrey, and Keane all getting minutes before Mina is perplexing. Agree. Didn't expect points today, but our inability to convert chances is as obvious as ever. Can't avoid the drop without an end product. And that is undeniably true. The lowest scorers in the Premier League, I believe, have never not been relegated. So... Goals are the big question mark at the moment, but when you've shipped four, begs some additional questions as well. Over to you, Ryan. Yeah, I use Jonathan Reese at Johnny Reese 316. We have another 316 out there. Anyway, um, look, I, he said I, I, I agree with a lot of it. What I expected, feared the worst when this came out and got scheduled this week. Hopefully we can pick ourselves up for Saturday. Things would look very different with a win. And he's right. Um, a turnaround and a win and all is forgotten. Um, this was not a good matchup for us. And I didn't think it would be quite necessarily this bad. Um, but it certainly was an absolute beating, especially in the second half after the subs were made. Interesting that several people predicted the score correctly. Yeah, some people really leaning into the doom and gloom, and they were rewarded for their pessimism today. We'll give them a shout out. Everton Fury 19, hashtag ain't leaving the ship. Appreciate that. Uh, S. Stupka and Nick Weinstein all predicted the 4 0 loss. And in some ways, the loss certainly felt predictable, but the nature of it and obviously the scoreline, you know, you would have hoped for maybe some more positives to take away from it, but it's really, you got to look really, really deep down to find many positives from this one. It was a really poor display, but we'll wind the clock back before all of us were incredibly disappointed. And we'll talk about both teams lineups, starting with the Gunners. 
It's the same lineup, and um, I, I made a comment here that we had to bring up Gunnersaurus at some point on here, James, and I can't think of any place to put it, really. But uh, I just wanted to mention that I really like Gunnersaurus, and I'm glad that he's back and, and able. And A team and of there. 11 Gunnersauruses could have beat us today. There's that for you. I think that's probably true. Um, yeah, no change. I mean, Keita got cold, basically, and eventually they yanked him, so you've got Trissard up top. Um, Martinelli to the left side, who we did really well on last match, but look, Saka's the danger guy. Um, Jorginho's gotten better up to speed too. And I think he makes them very, he's very different. He gives them another person in the middle that can really move the ball, especially when Zinchenko kind of cuts over into the middle and acts like a mid it's hard. You know, they, they possess the ball. Well, they move the ball very well. They're a very dangerous team. They're in first for good reason. And they're at home. Yep, and Sean Dyche elects for just one change. It's a change we've been crying out for for some time, at least in the player that was removed from the starting lineup, and that was, of course, Connor Cody. The player who came in to replace him, maybe not our first choice, but someone on this show, we've speculated Sean Dyche, knowing that Sean Dyche is very familiar with him, might make an appearance, and it was none other than Michael Keane, who, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, his last appearance for Everton starting in the Premier League was that 5-1 loss to end the season at Arsenal last year. Uh, he's played a couple cup games for us this season, but hasn't gotten in the starting lineup. So uh, draw whatever correlation you want from that. Don't think he was necessarily the root cause of Everton's problems today, but unfortunate and probably not great for his confidence to come in and get absolutely wrecked. But uh, I mean, tactical setup, Ryan, Everton kind of go with a similar shape, obviously largely unchanged lineup but to drastically different results than we saw at Goodison in the reverse fixture. We looked like we were trying to be even more narrow than we were before. Um, and early it looked okay. We're kind of looking for them to try and make those big switches and jump on it. We've heard Dice talk about that a lot and his masterclass, how it takes that much longer to fire a pass like that. And, you know, you saw some time wasting from Pickford and others. And I, I just saw organizational issues with the midfield. And look, Arsenal do this to a lot of teams. We're not the only one. And I saw it at Goodison, too. I just thought Arsenal were very poor at Goodison. But I think we have this massive issue where if Ghana's not sitting deeper with discipline, um, Onana and Decore can really get loose. It's something I've seen Onana in at other places do. And we know Decore likes to take off. And and that's part of it. And I'm okay with that as long as Ghana's very disciplined. But um I think what we saw is Arsenal overloading the right a lot. I mean, they were feeding Saka. I mean, I'm sure you saw James. At times, they would get the ball deep and just fire 40-yard passes to him just to get him the ball quickly. And I think that's a bit of it's a, a reaction, knowing that how well we double-teamed out wide last match and, and how well we kind of slowed them down in order to facilitate that. Now, what was interesting is last match, if you remember, Wobie started left and McNeil started right, and then they switched against Arsenal. Um, at one point, I was thinking, God, I hope they flip a Wobie on that side because I felt like it was, if they were dominating that much on that side, you know, one of those guys is going to get tired. Um, look, I, in possession, we were awful. I mean, I, I don't think there's any argument. I mean, Pickford hoofballs were going nowhere near the target, um, and I don't even know who the target was half the time. And the thing is, the way Arsenal press, they give you an option for a third guy deeper if you want to play it to him, even if you want to use that person as your hoofball mechanism. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just if you're not super disciplined and super organized in the midfield against these guys, they're going to pick you apart. Although I think in the first half, I, I don't think they blew us away by any stretch of the imagination with their ball movement. Um, and I mean, you look at it, I mean, they attacked 41% down the right side. My guess is that that was higher in the first half, James, if I had to guess, um, because by then, ultimately, the damage 
the damage was done. I'm looking at the past networks you put in. You see the nice little U-shape from Arsenal flipping it all around, but then you see the cluster on the right side, naturally. But there were even times where Grant Xhaka had snuck in and was almost playing as a center forward. And if you do that, I mean, look at the numbers over there. It's just very tough to defend that if you're not blocking passing lanes and keeping them away. And and we had a couple moments where we just got broken through. But our pass map, I mean, what? it, it doesn't even look like a, a I've never seen. I mean, that's one of the craziest looking things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> it looks like a geometry problem or something that you would have to solve for angle X. I mean, it's pretty all over the place it's almost like we have both halves of the field operating independently from one another you've got onana seamus and keen kind of operating with a Wobi on the right hand side and then basically everyone else operating on the left and there's no kind of cross field ball movement coming um from the midfield whatsoever and then you look you know talking about how poor we were in possession i mean you can look at just the possession numbers flat out arsenal in addition to that arsenal 768 total passes to 281 for Everton, so almost well, more than doubled up on the total pass count, and it certainly felt that way. As you said, Ryan, the damage was done in the first half. Uh, we trudged on in the second half for an excruciating 45 minutes of football to watch for an Everton fan. Probably enjoyable if you're an Arsenal fan, but we will get into that in just a minute after a quick break for a word from our sponsors. All right, let's get into the timeline, Ryan. I mean, we kicked this one off, and as we alluded to and most people saw, first 40 minutes were decent. Uh, and, you know, we can't even really complain about the refereeing today other than the first couple missed calls in the first few minutes. Onana getting slapped in the face like three times inside the first 15, and I don't think any of them were called fouls. That's How really bizarre. Miss the last one? Like, we complained about Decore had the ball last week and kind of the arm was flailing behind him. Anana played the ball past Gabriel. Gabriel put his hand on his face. Clear as day. And look, I get it if if the attacking player is a midget and your hand is just out there. Okay, I get it. Onana is not short, and the line is right there. I mean, he's literally staring at him in the face. No foul there at all? I mean, it is literally what prohibited him from going by him. It was a hand directly to the face. That was the one where I was like, you got to be kidding me. Grant Jacques one. I'm not saying it should have necessarily gone to VAR to take a look at it, but he turned, looked at Onana and elbowed him in the nose. Now he didn't wind up. It wasn't necessarily violent, but he definitely put his elbow right into it. And let's be honest. He's not exactly the cleanest player in the world. So I don't understand the logic why they were being that way, but that was a little bit absurd. But yeah, we had a couple chances early. I mean, the moped had kind of a, a harmless shot, which is not a terrible attempt considering they kind of backed off and he was from distance. Um, stung the keeper. I think you're in a corner on it too. So that was something. And then there was this massive chance in the eighth. And, and this was really the chance to me of the match because the whole match could have changed right here. And, and it's a play where DeCorey does a great job picking up the ball from a terrific tackle that Onana makes, right? Of course. So... DeCorey runs with it very well. And look, he makes a perfect pass to McNeil's feet. I actually had people calling him out on Twitter saying it was a bad pass. Go watch it again. I mean, it literally hits him right in the foot. But McNeil makes a bad touch to his own left. That wasn't the pass. That was a McNeil touch and kills the angle. And he tries this cutback cross. And at that point, uh, Mope has already made the run to the near post. He did this last week, too, where he played a kind of, or Wobi played it behind the Mope. The Mope's making the near post run. 
these are clearly designed things and there's no one kind of on the backside to do it. And it just stinks. Mope kind of hits it and tries to back heel it in with his off foot and there's no chance. But I mean, James, this was it. I mean, this is, you got to do better than this. Yeah. You, we really had great opportunities within the first 10 minutes and it felt very open at that point, like very end to end, frankly, a little too much for my, my liking, but that's where the chances were going to come from. Both teams, Arsenal had a couple chances on the break that they were very wasteful on. And we got some looks going the other way. I mean, I think it's just a function. I mean, our inability to really break on the counterattack with pace. Um, Decore is, you know, not super slow, but he can be a bit lumbering. And when he's carrying the ball going forward, it limits us. Furthermore, our wide players are also not the fastest. So we really couldn't get in behind. Um, that said, those couple chances were decent. They were, but I think it also hurt us in a way because Arsenal was hitting us back very quickly too. Right. I mean, the second our guys left shape, I mean, it was a big deal. So I I don't know. Yeah, it it, it certainly felt chaotic, but in some ways that plays into, I think our hands a little bit. No, we're, we need to be disciplined and keep our shape. But if you let Arsenal settle in and control the game, it's basically curtains for you because that's their MO. That's what they do so well. That's why they're top of the league. So introducing a little bit of chaos may, may not have been the worst plan, but that was fairly short lived and Arsenal kind of sunk their teeth into us um, following that. And then although we think we were ahead on XG up to this point in the 40th minute, it's Arsenal that take the lead. It's a really kind of straightforward goal. It's poor defending to be sure, but They find Saka in space. He turns in. He rifles a shot, beats Pickford high near post. Uh, Don't really blame Pickford for this one. That's frankly just a really good shot. It's the defending leading up to it. It's really partially you got to give Arsenal credit, the movement of their players. But you've got a number of our defenders that are caught kind of in lose-lose situations as far as their positioning once this play kicks off. Yeah, there's a lot to say about this one. People, Some people didn't like my interpretation of it online, but uh, let me explain to you what I'm trying to convey here if I didn't do it appropriately. So you've got a situation here where you've got a player coming off the wide space into the half space, crossing over towards the middle. You've got all the midfielders are kind of out of the way, and people are blaming Mikalinko for this. And here's the problem. There's a player to Mikalinko's left. That player is literally on the edge of the 18. They're not so wide that they're going to even have to cross it. They could probably, and they're making a run directly towards goal. And that lane, the passing lane is wide open. It's an easy pass to make if he doesn't step in front of it. So the problem there is that's his assignment. There's no wide guy there. McNeil's not deep, not deep. So he knows that's his assignment. He's literally responsible for that player. The problem is that he's got a player right to his right, and that's Saka. Now he knows Saka's there. So people online that are saying, oh, he wasn't even aware he was there. You're an idiot, dude. Watch it again. He literally grabs him on the shoulder a second prior to that. His head is moving back and forth. Like, pay it. Do you not watch the games, folks? So don't come at me with that garbage. At least watch the stupid game before you want to engage and give someone a lead, a little bit of modicum of respect for, for heaven's sakes. Ryan's feisty today. I'm just ticked about it, man, because I think it's so hard to blame him here. He, he is no good option here at all. And so, look, if I'm Mikalenko and I play that position way more times than I care to admit, I played them both. I played left center half, too. And the thing is, you have to make a decision. So if you know that's your responsibility to your left, right, you know that guy to your right is dangerous. No question. He's in a very dangerous spot. I agree with that. You've got Ghana, though. You have three midfielders, supposedly, and you have a center half. Now, can he tell for sure? that Keane is stuck, that he can't move to that player because he's got a player in front of him? I don't know. But to me, the bigger issue here is what should happen. I mean, the ball's on his side. What should happen is whole defense should be over to the left. Keane should be already over dealing with that player, but he can't leave because our midfield is broken. 
There's no one there. So look, if Ghana is going to come out to the player, fine. But Ghana is the six. Onana isn't there. He's wide. McNeil isn't there. He's wide. DeCorey was up up the pitch already. He doesn't. If DeCorey maybe comes deep and allows Ghana some freedom to move, no one is covering anyone. It's a terrible structure. I just think you're asking an awful lot of Mikalinko here. So it's very easy to say, well, yeah, the more dangerous guy is Saka. Maybe he is, but it's not his assignment. Number one and number two, there are other people there. So yeah. fine, fine. He goes out to the player. That's fine. I don't think people realize what an easy pass that would be to just play the player to his left, right in on the 18th. He's literally making a diagonal run. It's an easy pass. If he does that, he probably takes two pa- two taps and just plays the square ball and someone buries it. I'm not saying that wouldn't happen, but look, fine. So Saka gets it, turns, goes at Pickford and hits an absolute fantastic finish. So you got to get him credit for that. I, I just think you, Michael Keane, same one here. How bizarre is it, by the way, that Tarkowski told him to switch right before it and he was on the left side? Yeah, it just felt like, you know, communication before and then it kind of just disjointed everything any sort of organizational principles we had in place and and as simple simply put as it can possibly be you've got Mikalenko who basically is has to in theory try to mark out two guys from dangerous positions and uh that math just doesn't really add up so that was the first goal and okay we're down one nil that's never really good this Everton team doesn't fight back well from adversity we never win at the Emirates we definitely don't win away all these things kind of working against us so it was going to be an uphill climb regardless, but then this mistake by Idrissa Ghanagay right before the half uh, frustrated a lot of people, frustrated me. Um, and we've seen, I think, maybe foreshadowing of it in, in recent times, some of the um, lackadaisical back passes and whatnot. But this one is just a really bizarre play because it's almost like he's going kind of half speed, like he's given up on it. He expects the ref to blow the whistle, but the whistle never comes. It's originally ruled offside and then given on the VAR review. Um, but no question, this is an individual error and a costly one at that. Yeah, I don't know what to say about it. I can't even explain it. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. I mean, it's one thing to not see Sokka kind of flying from behind you, but it's an, like even if that player was never there, it just looked awkward. Like, what was he waiting for to pass it back? It, it, it really did. I, th- I, th- I agree, James. I felt like he stopped, like he thought the play was was over. And and, and look, these individual mistakes are kill. Ex- Coco at Florida Toffee says it perfectly well here. At a loss for words, what more is there to say about the players? The individual mistakes kill us every week. Now, look, I don't know if we're getting back into this game or not. Stranger things have happened. But I mean, in X, you know, 46th minute doing this, what, what is going on here? Just um, it's 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 tough. You know, it's tough to watch. You know, it's bad enough. It's hard enough to beat these teams, especially in, in this situation. But when you're shooting yourself in the foot, it's just it's inexcusable. Yeah, and look, Ghana, we praise Ghana a lot. He's I think he's without Ghana in this side this season, we're probably pretty firmly rock bottom because he's done a lot to bring some solidity to the midfield. But look, he makes these kinds of mistakes. There's been so many times where he's had been facing Jordan Pickford looking to make a back pass. And it just seems like there's like a lack of awareness or just lack of urgency in the back play. And it's a lot of times you can look past those individual mistakes because a, they don't cost us goals and B he does so much throughout the rest of the match that it's like, okay, you can kind of write that off today. Even though I think he was playing pretty well up to that point, the mistake costs us a goal. He's going to be in the firing line, understandably so. And as a consequence of that potentially, or maybe it was just a, you know, tactical decision from Dyche. He gets yanked at the half and replaced by none other than Mason Holgate. Curious your thoughts on this one, Ryan. I was very perplexed. We've had shouts in seasons past of we should try Mason Holgate at DM, and it never seems to go particularly well or well at all. And I don't think it went well today. Because he's not a DM. I mean, this just in. <laughs> Godfrey at least has played in that position before. Um, 
I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it almost felt like either he read Gone of the Riot Act at halftime, as some people suggested, or he just was like, you know, and part of it could be just mental fatigue. I mean, you're asking Gone to do a lot on this side. Um, Frank was asking him to do more, basically be, you know, the impossible player. So maybe that was part of it, honestly. And I mean, this has got to be mentally exhausting at times just to get pounded like this. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what to say, James. I mean, you know, the funny part is, though, that we're actually two to two for them in shots. I mean, so when we made the second series of subs where Godfrey and Gray came on, I, I thought that was almost us giving up in many ways. We get this decent chance right away where kind of there's that 50-50 ball. It's kind of strange over that Onana wins. And I, I don't think it was him who touched the ball to McNeil. I think it was an Arsenal player. And McNeil just took off and broke into the into the 18 and did a really nice job with Saliba. He's a really good defender. Gave himself a little time. It's on his preferred left foot. He cracks a shot. Placement wasn't there, but he hit it with some velocity. Ramsdale makes a very good save. He's probably a little lucky that there was no one on the back door to score. But at that point, I mean, it was two to two in shots, man. I mean, it was I mean, the second half did totally get away from us. But my Lord, those subs, you want to talk about making an impact on defense, just the combination of all the people that we took off the pitch and then watching them try and defend. It was just a beating. And I think Hewitt Osthoffy art. Um, I kind of I kind of like this comment. I mean, because I, I, did, I that's how I, I don't know how you felt on the subs, but he writes before half. We were the better side defending well and had a couple good opportunities after two nil. I think the changes were just to protect the players for Forrest and Dice had pretty much written off the game. Um, but it really wasn't out of hand at that point, but it sure got out, out of hand pretty soon after this, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, and in regard to the subs, um, part of it is, yeah, Sean Dice will never admit to this, but I do think in the interest of being pragmatic, you kind of have to take the forward looking view. What are the odds we score three or even two to equalize at the Emirates and take a point from the game? I don't think the risk reward there is worth having these guys who have already played basically three times in a week, try to go 90 minutes. So I understand the subs. Um, weird to bring Godfrey on it right back. Maybe I know people have occasionally called for it. I think I've called for it on this show earlier in the season. Uh, saw why that's maybe a bit naive to think that that would work. Gray on look, he's the only guy who maybe could fa- fashion something out of nothing in this team. Um, desperate for goals, but yeah, it just seemed to completely disrupt anything good, which wasn't much up to this point we had going and it kind of just, yeah, destroyed us the rest of the way in the 70th. It's Odegaard. Godfrey gets caught way, way too high. Watching him try to recover after he's beat well in behind was painful. Uh, It's Trossard who gets behind. Keen comes over. We just defense reeling, trying to recover. The cross in, Odegaard easily finishes 3-0. Done and dusted if it wasn't already. I'm telling you what. I do not understand how Tarkowski defends these situations. He does it all the time. He does not look for the players. He goes right to the ball. Or he'll go straight back to goal. I, I I don't get that at all. Like even Michael Keane later in this fourth goal takes a look behind his head before he makes a decision to go at the ball. He just runs back towards the goal. And and naturally, it's a nice little easy pass back towards the spot and tap it. Tap in, maybe not. He hits it in. But the point is, like, it's an easy goal. It's terrible defending. I mean, Gottfried is the primary responsible party here. I mean, he gets... It's just, I don't know if Godfrey just thinks he's so fast, he can make up the difference and stuff, but he's so out of shape. He's so much too high. He's not in line with his defenders. It's just, it's just a disaster and such an easy goal. There was another play too, like four minutes after that, where he gets played behind again. It should have been about four nil. 
Um, Pickford makes like a massive save again on Keita after he plays him over the top, which like Mikalinko dropped back and kept him on, which we've seen him do before. Just a cluster of errors. And finally, they get the fourth one in the 79th minute. This one, it's just disorganization here. You know, Inanna's deeper. He gets played in behind, but I don't know why he's necessarily in there. It's not compact the way it should be. Godfrey had the wide man, so I get that. I don't know if you want him to tuck him in more or what the deal is. Now, Keen again, checks his shoulder, comes to the ball fine with that, and Tark gets beat to the near post. I, I have no idea how he gets beat to the near post, number one. Number two, how Pickford doesn't save it. Somehow it goes in, and it's, you know, I felt bad to him. You saw Wobi. Wobi, that's the first time I've seen Alex Awobi like, jogging a bit on a pitch. He looked completely exhausted. Um, Man, even the 91st minute, James, we didn't even score. How is this not go in? I mean, it's like Keen to Awobi. Awobi finds Godfrey. Godfrey plays Gray on. Great shot, by the way. This is a really good shot. He looks like he has a bad angle, and it gets knocked right into Davies, and he still can't score. I mean, yeah, that that's Tom Davies right there. And that's that's Damari Gray, too, to be fair. I mean, exactly what I said a couple minutes ago. The guy who looks always when he's on the pitch the most likely player to score for Everton and he does exactly what you'd expect a, a smart player to do in a situation like that he shoots it low he forces Ramsdale to kind of block it right back out into in front of the net and Tom Davies is there in theory to clean up the scraps but uh, just not really coming off for Tom much at all lately and it certainly didn't there I mean two yards out yeah you kind of got to get it over Ramsdale at that point but man <laughs> I don't know how you don't score from that position. It's a bit ridiculous. Uh, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, as we always like to say on this show. And, you know, 4-1 doesn't feel that much better than 4-0, but it would have been an okay consolation to wrap things up. But uh, unfortunately, it was not to be, and we get blanked at the Emirates. It's a brutal loss. I mean, you look at the second half stats, 80% possession for Arsenal, 12-4 to in shots, again, after being kind of even once at the very early stages of it 10 to 2 after the subs were made 90% pass success for them versus 67 for us three nothing in corners and uh this one was interesting from you Ryan Neil Mopai tied for the team lead in successful tackles despite coming off yeah Yeah. I mean that's that's as one-sided as a half can be um I I didn't even look at the xg I didn't even want to know what it is final stats for Mark, our stats was 2.59 was the XG. I'm sure the yeah. post shot XG was pretty high. Like, I mean, that that soccer shot is just an unbelievable finish, too. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue maybe Pickford could have come out a little more aggressively and cut down the angle. But I mean, I, I don't think many people are stopping that one. Um, I, I've really struggled to find good performances today, James. I don't know yep. about you. I, I know why you picked who you did. Um think you know why i picked my guy but he wasn't perfect either no i mean you're really really reaching when we're talking a 4-0 loss who was good but i I did go with dwight mcneil i probably based that purely on the first half alone because that's the only time we were remotely decent but he did finish the game two for two in tackles he had five interceptions and four for four in dribbles i believe as a team we had nine dribbles so i think he had one less than uh, half of our total I thought, you know, his his endeavor up and down the left-hand side in the first half was decent. That one shot that he got off early in the second half was good, but really, really rough selections all around. And, and I'd probably agree with your selection as well. Yeah, I mean, DeCorey had two key passes. I mean, he was about the only one that created anything. He was all over the field. Um, again, I mean, he was all over the field to a detrimental ability on, on the first goal, but yeah, I'd say he was a you know a, a slightly 
illuminated light in a very dull area. There's like a faint candle in an area with no electricity. I mean, I just, yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, it's hard. I mean, and really it just brings us to one thing. I mean, you know, we kind of have this, we, we decided to kill the segment for our listeners that don't know this, the pick out someone who played badly because it was just not because there were a ton of them. It's just felt kind of wrong. Um, so instead we kind of like to ask the question, you know, what questions still remain? I mean, what, what, what issues do we still see that we really don't have a solution for? And I, I think that's a more interesting conversation really, James, other than beating into the ground, how few good players we had today. And I think the number one big question today was, and and I don't know if we have a definitive answer is Michael Keane, the right guy instead of Connor Cody. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, look, no one who's listened to this show will be uh, surprised to think about who we, we'd prefer to have played. And Kevin Dyer at Nebula1979 always really appreciate his contributions to the show. I think has some some good questions. He said, Cody out, thumbs up, but for Keen, not Mina, question mark, baffling. Undone by a couple errors before halftime. Subs woeful. Holgate at DM, God forbid, right back. Destroyed the defensive shape of the side. Ghana, bad mistake. He said escaped at 4-0, and it did feel a little bit like that. It could have been an absolutely, I mean, it could have been much heavier than 4-0, as we talked about in the timeline. But yeah, I, I you know, Dyche knows Keen well. He turned him into a very useful player for his Burnley team. A bit strange to bring him out of the cold after not playing at all this season, basically, to come in in a match like this. Felt a little bit like setting him up for failure, but I mean, I'm happy to see Cody move to the bench. Now, I hope it's for not just a one-game stint. Dice in the pre-match interview mentioned that it was kind of fine margins and rotating guys for fitness and whatnot. Do we think that's the case, or do you think Dice has perhaps seen what we've seen from Connor Cody now basically all season? Well, he'd have to be pretty blind not to see how bad he was. Um, look, we talked and made the joke about um, Sean Dice being synonymous with Old English, um, you know, and I believe we went off on a tangent and talked about malt liquor for a bit and that was more interesting than probably analyzing this match would be i'm gonna need Um, some malt liquor after this one i I tell you my go-to is always the eight ball i know i said it before um crazy horses the backup anyway so uh i actually i'm not even gonna get to it but i have some stuff in my fridge that's very old that yeah never mind we're gonna move on uh anyway so i still the only explanation i could come up with why you would pick michael Keane ahead of yuri mina is that I mean, he's comfortable with Keen, but again, is it old in English requirements? I mean, all the subs were pretty much that way, too. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about this one, James. I mean, I, I just think Cody is is noticeably that bad. Um, and I don't think Michael Keen was really that bad today. I, I think the people Agreed. around him were considerably worse. I actually thought he played OK at times, which is hard to say when you're losing 4-0. But, um, you know, I thought he was in a tough spot in the first goal. He had nothing to do with the Ghana goal. If anything, he actually made a decent play on the last goal in the third one. I don't see is really his fault either. Um, that's kind of a strange way to analyze the match, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, besides uh, Adrissa Gay, actually, who I think was 12 for 12 in passes, he had the highest pass percentage of anyone in the team. You'd probably expect that from a center half. But yeah, I don't I don't think Michael Keane was at fault for very many individual mistakes, to be sure. Um, enough to keep his play Sunday at Forest will remains to be seen. That will be an interesting thing to watch because... I mean, to what extent Dice is willing to rotate this lineup? You know, we know he values consistency, perhaps above many other things. So we'll see how that develops. I mean, he yanked Ghana at halftime. We talked about whether we thought it was maybe a fitness thing, conserving him for Sunday, um, just a kind of punitive measure taken by him. 
maybe a little bit of all three. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't just put him right back in the side. I think it's kind of a foolish move if if he decides to, you know, extend this punishment for more than just getting yanked at half. And, you know, Kevin Dyer here mentioned, uh, you know, his quote, the tail end of it was gone a bad mistake, but his importance to the team vivid in that second half meltdown, right? That that was yeah. key. I mean, and you saw it. I mean, they ripped us to shreds. So you see what happens when he's not out there now. That being said, is this maybe a reason for Dice to go back to his four four two um instead of playing this four five one. I'll tell you what, I mean, there's no real reason to play four five one if the numbers in the midfield aren't going to dominate the midfield. Yeah, that's true. And and we talked about it last episode a little bit, but you know, to Kevin's point, it does kind of highlight Ghana's importance, but also you replaced him with Mason Holgate. Yeah, that's you couldn't have a bigger drop off. Like, talked about it last time. If you moved to Corey, maybe to a six, even even Tom Davies in like a very specific kind of disciplined six role. Don't think that's really great, mm. but I think it's better than Mason Holgate. I thought Holgate was really bad. But my point being is like. That's not the only option if you're trying to replace Ghana in this side. You could shift right. guys around and find alternative solutions. So Yeah, and um, I think also, I mean, part of that's Godfrey at right back. I mean, think about it, man. If if Arsenal was uh, for the game, only attacked 41% on the right side and 36 on the left. I mean, the second half, <laughs> once Godfrey got subbed in, was like 75% down the left side. So I, I wonder what it was at one point. I'll bet you it was like 50% down the right, you know? So it's a combination of both those things. It wasn't just purely because Ghana wasn't there, but Ghana does make up for a lot. I mean, we saw him last week. He makes one mistake on the penalty, but he had a ton of tackles last week. And when he got yanked, I mean, I don't think he missed a pass. He was literally only one on our team that yeah. wasn't giving the ball away other than for that goal. And But th- that counts. I mean, you can't do that. You know, I mean, you can't. My what I'm hoping is that those things are anomalies and they're flukes, and you know they're starting to. It've happened a couple times now, so you start asking the question: Well, is this really what he was? I didn't see it at PSG. Um, I don't know. I mean, this you know this game was going so sideways; it's hard to hard to evaluate. So, all right, another question: A lot of people are calling for Damari Gray to play up top instead of Neil Mope because they've determined that Neil Mope is the worst player in the history of the Premier League. Um, I. <laughs> I mean, I don't think DeMarc Gray, I mean, he had one good moment and maybe that's a reason to, to play him in some capacity, um, especially if you just need goals, but he doesn't really play any defense. And I don't see any, I mean, he just got overwhelmed at times. Basically, we couldn't get the ball out of our own zone because he's not an option. And say what you want about the moped. The moped holds the ball up a little better than people are giving him credit for and did a couple times early in the second half. I don't think DeMar Gray is a viable alternative up there. I'm not saying you don't want to play 4-4-2 and maybe throw him up there, but I, I don't think you can get away with playing him as a single striker. And I think Hope Kills hits it out of the park with the comments. Yeah, Hope Kills at a American Toffee said, I will never forgive the board for not getting a striker in. Obviously not our only issue, but it is definitely the most important one. Also, that last 30 minutes should silence the Gray can play up top shouts. I will point out that that one bright moment from DeMar Gray did come from him starting in a wide area. And cutting inside. So true. Um, I think that's interesting. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. I'm so tired of all of the striker conversation. And I know it is the most glaring issue, but that just makes it also the one that's talked about the most. You've got well, the people on Twitter who are like DCL, you know, still giving DCL stick for being injured. Like he doesn't talk about that thing for us. Let's talk if we must. Yes, yes. Yes. Let's do it. Go ahead. You can start. But I'm going to definitely have have a couple things to say about the geniuses out there. Well, I'm just I'll I'll try to be brief about it. It's 
I mean, I saw the one that you quote tweeted that was like the guy writing the poem about what? Dominic Howard Lewin. What's wrong it's, with people? It's, the level of the level of dialogue on this is is so idiotic from people whose only athletic performance in the last multiple decades is lifting a beer to their face or a cheeseburger, talking about the performance and injuries and scrutinizing these players' lives like Dominic Calvert Lewin didn't come out and talk about his mental health struggles, piling on the guy like again, the they act like these guys are just entitled millionaires when most of them come from underprivileged backgrounds and have to work incredibly hard to get to the level they're at to think that though some guys do kind of just reach the top and plateau and stop working hard. I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin's an example of that. I think there's nothing more he'd want than to be out there playing for Everton, getting us out of this mess that we're in. And the relentless abuse from from people who are so-called Everton fans is completely unwarranted, completely out of line. And it's just embarrassing to see in every way. Every time I see it, it, it makes me just just disappointed and embarrassed to be a fan of this club because of how stupid and it's a vocal minority and i think most people are reasonable but it's always the crazy ones that make you you know lose your head i just think people are children like they're they're just frankly just dumb uh, in all honesty because there's no logical basis for basis for it whatsoever so number one he talked about his mental health struggles meaning as he wants to be out there then dice and that's what he talked about within context is brutal to not play and look look at the way the guy trains i mean he's in decent shape just this just in you don't look like that if you're not an absolute workhorse so we know those things are true when he's on the pitch he's an absolute warrior up there he's constantly battling with people he also went four straight years of 30 plus appearances you know what i mean like he was a stalwart. This idea that he's not a great striker, sell him. Yeah, at his lowest value. How dumb is that? The funniest part is when I had literally someone the other day saying, sell him. He's worthless. He can't stay fit by Danny Ings. I'm like, <laughs> Danny Ings went for two years and didn't play. And now you want him like it's impossible for he'll never be healthy again by Danny Ings. That's literally the illustration of the guy who then got healthy. Like, are you an idiot? Like, how dumb are you? And I think my biggest issue, though, is, okay. that's part of the mental health aspect. Sean Dyche actually himself said his problem is his will is too strong that he's pushing himself into the lineup at the expense of his health. That's what he thought the problem was. So think about it. And by the way, he's not going to play. If the sports science guys, guys tell him not to play, he shouldn't play. Like if you were to play in spite of that, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly ever do. So no one should ever blame him for. So, okay. So the people that believe he's just not dealing with niggles or something are people that, I mean, they, they have no idea what's going on at Finch Farm, which is, I think, a prerequisite to be able to know that. You have no background in sports medicine. Almost every one of these people, God knows what these people do, which you, I think you also need. Uh, number number three, you'd have to know the player and actually know something about his mentality and his mental health and his intelligence and his psychology. So if you don't know any of those things, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no basis for any one of these claims. All you can go by is through his words. And there's not been a single word that would indicate that he doesn't want to play or that he's soft and he can't play through stuff. I mean, my God, these people don't get to the point where they are right now. The guy was second in the league in open play goals a couple years ago. This idea that he's, he had scored 30 goals from open play in two seconds, in back to back, like two years. And yeah. I know people think we need to go get a 30 goals. Do no one scores 30 goals in the Premier League anymore? People barely score 20 from open play and didn't score 20 in the entire league a couple years ago. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. That doesn't happen. So I just, some of these people, I just get this feeling that they're old, outdated, don't really have a clue what's going on other than watching Everton. And they're just miserable human beings that just need to get on Twitter and vent because their lives are completely pathetic. And that's what I think. Crotchety 
And so I think hope kills. I mean, I just sounded life. like one of those people myself, but like <laughs> I'm a fairly that. happy, well-adjusted human being. I really am. And I would never, ever moment. think this. Well, it's just crap. I mean, how can you say these things? I, no, I people? agree. And I think hope kills hits it on the head with his comment because he says, never forgive the board. And that's really who's at fault for these, these woes right now. It's, it's the people who are in charge of getting, setting the club up for success and having Dominic Calvert-Lewin as what some might consider certainly not maybe not the single point of failure, but one of the major points of failure, his fitness, Barbara, just you can't count on it. So contingency plans were needed. So with that said, we look ahead. I mean, it's after tough. the World Cup and it's, it's tough. Bleak. Yeah. And that's what you have to look at. You're looking at the schedule and the time to make a change, even if we are playing better now. And today was a bad example of that, maybe. But even if we're suddenly more competitive or you feel like this manager is better than the prior one, this the time to do that was before. And it's really hard because you look at the schedule we have upcoming. We don't play another bottom six team until our last two teams. Wolves and Bournemouth, the last two yeah. matches. I mean, and look, Wolves has, has put in a lot of talent and they, they've been losing, but they've been losing some good teams. Um yeah, I just you, you had your chance and you kind of blew it. So things are very difficult for us. So Alan Brody, um, my brother at arms, lives not too far from me at Brody in Maryland. Arsenal didn't even have to be at their best. This is the result I expected. But looking at the fixtures ahead is bleak. And and I think Blues of Goodison hits it out of the park with his comment, too. They're kind of related comments. And, and you know, it's just hard, James, because you're watching these matches and these are what's in your head half the time. It makes it even more difficult. I mean, we're piling on today, but like it's hard, you know, and I totally get why people are like I saw someone talking about how magnificent the stadium is going to be. And I'm like, yeah, it looks really great. But every time you think about it, there's still a bad side to that, that you're like the reason why we didn't make any changes or try to. We're so delayed in making decisions was the money that's being sunk into that as opposed to putting into the squad. But I mean, I think at Blues of Goodison, this is a really valid comment. Yeah. And it it gets to a lot of the points we've made on the pod, but he says it really well. I'll keep tapping the sign because as far as I'm concerned, I'm on the money here and we'd agree. Uh, Dice probably would have squeezed an extra four points minimum out of this side if he was given the World Cup break. And yeah, look. If it comes to the end of the season and things go worst case scenario, of course, and and we are relegated, it's just going to be that rehashed into oblivion. Why did we let Lampard off the back of a 7-0 on aggregate, couple matches against Bournemouth, then take six weeks to try to rectify things and then sacking him right after? It is the cherry on top of what is a gigantic Sunday of crap decisions from Everton leadership and bringing in a manager that has a very different philosophy and approach, you know, and, and right. not giving them the tools to do that. I mean, look, for me, I mean, Everton's downfall started way earlier than that, of course. And the Benitez one is the one that basically like just absolutely vaulted the boulder down the mountain, you know, and just but I, I just uh, it's just hard because you see all the mistakes. I mean, every day and you know, every time you watch this team, you see every all those mistakes kind of pile up and um, we are where we are. It doesn't change the fact, though, that, yes, this is a terrible performance, but it was one we likely weren't going to get a result from. And we've got a much bigger match this weekend in in a match that you would hope we could maybe have some success here uh, for us through not playing very well. And this is a chance for us to take three points. And I mean, look, it's only going to take a couple wins here. I'm not seeing a lot of them, but that's what it's going to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think that's why I really like, you know, final word here, James. I mean, I, I like Matt Hand at Matt Hand 1982's comment here. And I think this is probably the healthy attitude to have. And he writes, it is what it is. We are 
bad and don't have the players to lay a glove on teams like Arsenal at their own ground. We are going to have to take performances like this on the chin because there will be plenty of them and we just have to hope we can scrape five or six wins. And I, I don't know how you feel, but I, I, I think I think that's keeping me a little bit sane at this point. Yeah, it's easy to get really into kind of the match by match emotional roller coaster, especially when we talk for between 45 and an hour plus about every single match. But you zoom out and look, no one expected no one expected points from the reverse fixture for this. And we got three. And, you know, I know people say, oh, well, we should be winning it. We should have a chance in every single game and blah, blah, blah. OK, well, let's get out of fantasy land here. We yeah, are where really. we are for a very good reason. We've lost 14 games this season. Um, this one is not going to make or break our season. I think we can just I think the key will be just to not let any of the stuff we saw today or let the players heads drop. Let that carry over any further kind of leave it at the Emirates forget about it move past it let's focus on the good things we've done in recent games under Sean Dyche and try to continue those positive trends because you look at the overall performance trends you know XGA XG4 and they are trending in the right direction today will be a bit of a blip in the radar on that but um, things I think Dyche does have the side far more organized it is going to come down to did we leave it too late but if we can get the type of commitment we've seen from at least his first four games maybe not today um, that's going to be great. And I think Andy Watt at What a Wild World brings us home really nicely, who says losing to the top of the league, beating everyone at home. Arsenal at the Emirates will not have bearing on whether we stay up or not. Home loss to Villa, far more annoying. Let's hope we can move on quickly. Four points in our next two games would potentially be huge from us. And yeah, it's like I, I put out a tweet, but it feels like every single game after every single loss, we're like, oh, well, we're only X number of points away from mid table. And yeah, we're still only three points off of being level, at least on points for 14th. So it's still crazy tight at the bottom. Individual results don't matter, but we do still have to find a way to eke results here and there. And that could be enough at the end of the you know season it is in some ways, it sucks that we don't have another bottom six side until our last two matches, but our last two matches, it could come down to those two games. And I'm glad that we will have, you know, teams that are right alongside us for those final ones and not like this match as our final one, like we did last season. It, it's just hard to see where it's coming from at this point, you know, it is. especially a performance like this. Um, and the performance wasn't that bad against Villa, but the scoreline was brutal. I think also people are way too focused again on the center forward stuff and just oblivious to the defense and the defending where, I mean, we're getting gashed at times. Um, I know Dyche is going to help make us more defensively organized, but you know, that's what undone us today. You know, it was some bad individual mis- decision-making defensively, but they were in bad positions and bad spots and it just wasn't that organized. And that's one where you naturally then again, you go back and look and you think, geez, man, that's something he would have probably had us pretty well drilled, um, right. I guess. And, and But you know what, though? We're also making a massive assumption that Sean Dyche is this master class worthy manager. And there's really not a lot of evidence of that either. So, I mean, that that could be part of it, man. He might not be that great a manager. He might be the guy that we objectively looked at at times and had question marks w- with and about. And he might not be the right guy. And so. I don't know. You know, it's tough. It's tough to see it, but um, things can change very quickly for sure. Yeah. One win, two wins, and things are looking dramatically different. And we just have to hope that those wins will come. Trust in the work that Sean Dyche is doing, at least for the time being, until we're given reason to prove otherwise. You know, today wasn't, I think, a great display by any stretch, putting it very lightly, but winnable games on the horizon. They will be difficult. It's going to be a very bumpy ride to the end of the road, but we will be with you for all of it and we will be 
oh, hopefully not crushed by despair and sorrow because it feels a little it's a little rough on days like today but we'll keep a positive attitude we'll keep churning out the pods the content for you guys and we hope that you enjoy it if you do i think that's going to do it for us leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice as always follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram at usa toffee pod join our discord link tr.ee slash atp and links in the description for all of that Otherwise, until next time, up the toffees, sack the board, sack the board, sack the board.